are listening to the Current Reality Podcast, where we talk about staying anchored in biblical reality within the current of modern culture. We are your hosts. My name is Michael Clary, and with me is Wade Thomas. Both of us are on staff at Christ the King Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, which makes this podcast possible. And so, Wade, I will kick it over to you once again to get us going. What do you have for us today? Yeah, let me give us a lay of the land. Uh, This is the the segment where we, from 30,000 feet, try and give you a a snapshot of what we're talking about and the particular issue as it affects the Western world and and Christianity and Christendom. Today, we're going to continue a series of episodes that we're making on the spiritual realm, on um, the spiritual reality that is that we cannot see, but that exists and is just as real as your neighborhood grocery store. And so from from way up here, from at 30,000 feet, what I want a Christian to know, what we're both passionate for having Christians take stock of, is that this is a world that is a composite world. It has a physical element and a spiritual element. Yeah, We are aware of that when it comes to ourselves. We know as Christians, we're not merely material. But we get very nervous about, in American Christianity at least, saying that the wider world is that way. We shouldn't. Yeah. There are real spiritual beings that will exist forever, either in heaven or hell, that hate you, hate your children, hate your grandparents, hate your church. They are rebel angels. They have fallen. Um, They serve a father of lies called Satan. And they hate everything that we love as Christians. And so... When Jesus was here and cast them out of people, when the Apostle Paul casts them out of people, uh, when they are scared of the God we love in Scripture and they um, flee from his presence, we should not be surprised by that and we shouldn't think it's not happening today somewhere in some way. Yeah. So we're going to talk today a little bit about how it's a it's an enchanting world. It's a it's in a, a world in some way, uh, some ways that's haunted by these spirits that hate us and hate our God. And it is not a purely physical Darwinian world uh, that we probably learned about in high school biology. I certainly did. Uh, So yeah, since this is something that you've spent a lot of time on, uh, that you have a particular uh, passion for, can you help us get a little more fleshed out what we're saying and why? Yeah. So um, I'll start off this way. <clears throat> I've I've had an interest in these sort of things for a long time. One one part of it is personal, um, and one part of it is theological. Um, there's there are parts of the Bible that are weird, and I've always wanted to know what's going on there. I can I can acknowledge and live with the fact that I'm not going to understand the Bible exhaustively, but there are some things that just really stand out that make me think, why is that in there? God put that in there for a reason. God wants me to gain from that in some way. And it's really obscure. And a lot of the weird parts of the Bible uh, deal with, they, it seems like they come from this place of interactions with supernatural elements. And then I had a crisis of faith uh, in my early college years where I was really susceptible to you know, professors at college that mm-hmm. would you know, mock and make fun of and attack Christianity. And, and I really felt like, man, I, I'm, I am really vulnerable to these things because I have, I haven't thought them through. Um, another personal aspect of this is I had a dream when I was a teenager 
where um, just I, one, just one dream. Um, I dreamed a dream <laughs> of years gone by. No, yeah, not that yeah, kind of dream. Um, you can uh, pick up my merch in the, you know, out at the table. Oh yeah. <laughs> No, I, I had I had a dream, and it was like a spiritual dream, like a demon dream. Now, I, I'm not claiming that this is an actual demon that I encountered, but in this dream, I uh, I was just, it was like I was it was like a lucid dream. So I woke up in the middle of the night, and what I saw at the foot of my bed was this fiery figure. Um, of course, I was a Christian, and um, and I was I was afraid of it, and I. I could tell that this menacing figure was wanting to attack me. I get goosebumps as I'm telling the story mm. right now, just remembering it. Um, I, as a Christian, I remember speaking to this, this being and saying, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. You don't have a power over me and I'm not afraid of you. Um, so it was, it was a kind of a come at me, bro. Yeah. Kind, of yeah. kind of a statement. And he did. So this, this fiery figure rushed at me. And I felt like I was on fire and uh, I was like this, the, I, I was afraid and I felt like I was burning. And so I said something to the effect of I yield and he went away uh, or he, he removed himself from me. And then he was hovering at the foot of my bed again. And so then I kind of regathered myself and I said, okay, now I'm ready for you. I'm not afraid of you. I'm covered in Jesus Christ. Come at me. And he did again. And I felt like I was a flame again. And then I yielded again, and then he left me again, and that was the end of the dream. Mm. I've had that dream twice. That uh, same dream. That same dream. That it happened um, same in the same vicinity of time. You know, mm. maybe a week or two or a month later. Um, I always chalk that up to this is just just my brain and you know imagination. Um, I went to a Pentecostal church for a while. And they spoke very freely of demonic powers and angels, and they believed all of it. Um, and there was a lot about that church that I was drawn to. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was ultimately the there were other aspects of their theology that I couldn't get on board with, and so I didn't hang with them for. Uh, and I was there for a few years. I was led there by a girl, but that's a that's a story for another day. We all were. Um, <laughs> Pretty much every young Christian guy listening to this podcast can relate to. I went to this church or this <laughs> conference or this because of a girl. Yeah, it's like every every story of a bad decision begins with, "Well, mm. there was this girl." Yeah, it was this girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what I loved about that church is like they treated this stuff as it was real, and that was a, that left a lasting impression on me. So I had a personal desire that was not uh, satisfied intellectually. And I'm the kind of man that um, I there is a there's a craving for my intellectual curiosity to be satisfied and for me to be able to bank on something that I can comprehend. So um, there was that that part there was I felt like there was always this gap in my theology. Mm-hmm. Um, but a few years ago, um, a friend of mine turned me on to a book by Michael Heiser. Uh, called Unseen Realm. We've referenced him uh, before on the podcast. Um, so Michael Heiser is a bona fide scholar. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, unfortunately, he's dying of um, a form of cancer right now. I'm not sure. I think I'm not sure what kind it is, but he's nearing the end. But a brilliant man, um, a man who is a legitimate uh, scholar, ancient languages. He understands the ancient world. 
and he has really uh, made a mark theologically in his work of dealing in the ancient world and the spiritual worldview of the ancient world. Um, and what he's done is through his writing, his he unlocks and helps to make sense of a lot of doctrines and uh, stories in the Bible that were obscure to me. Um, and that's, so that kind of, that was kind of an open door into this, this world of exploring these things. And since then I've explored in other areas and have, have learned a lot. Um, and it's, uh, it, it, it has helped me to put the Bible together and to answer a lot of the questions that I've had. I mean, for what it's worth, he, um, really not a Calvinist. Yeah. <laughs> and he's more egalitarian in his doctrine of sexuality. There's, I don't think he's right about everything, but I think there's a lot of things he's right about. And I think a lot of listeners to this podcast would probably uh, be familiar with and appreciate the work of Doug Wilson. Mm-hmm. And, and, Doug he, Wilson, and he, yeah. Yeah. You were he, saying, I mean, he's, yeah, he, he has referenced Heiser with the same qualification you just gave that he's got the chapter, I think in, in unseen realm, I think is the one where there's a chapter that is sort of, here's why I'm not a Calvinist. Yeah. And Wilson's like, other than that, just kind of leave that aside. This guy's really recognizing yeah. something we've lost. If there's somebody here who's totally unfamiliar and will never read a Heiser book, maybe a good just summary of the whole shtick as I understand it. And you can you can feel free to correct me if I've got it a little wrong. But basically not every idol or uh, false god referenced in the Old Testament is merely an inanimate object. Right. Some of some of these uh, false gods that are referenced in the Old Testament, some of these references to gods are references to actual divine personalities, actual things, per, uh, divine spiritual beings that exist yeah. and were created by God and rebelled against him. Yes. Is that a fair summary of kind of the... Yes. And another thing that, that this was new to me is a lot of these, uh, a lot of the stories in the Bible about Molech or Chemosh or Baal or um, whatever the, the the deity or idol is that they're dealing with, um, those, those stories have, I mean, they, they have, there's a, a history, mm. um, they have their own stories and a lot of the ancient literature, they tell similar stories to ones that appear in the Bible. And so what your, um, you know, uh, literary critic type, uh, not literary critic, it's the. Um, the the criticism type of disciplines. I don't. I guess it's maybe it's textual critical criticism. studies. Textual or critical criticism, studies. Yeah, yeah. Basically, their 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 approach to that is see they all just copy each other right. and uh, it's all made up stuff and this is just how they figured out a way to make their way through the world. Um, what I've come to um, be, I, I find it compelling and it explains a lot. Um, and I would I would say. I'm, I'm persuaded that it's accurate, mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, th- these things are these things are newer to me, so I don't I don't feel like I'm able to really confidently say oh 100. But but I'm like this this stuff has been helpful to me, and it's galvanized um, a, a part of my theology and walk with God that I really was lacking. I yeah. really wanted to see. I mean, I think Heiser is. He he's reminding us if the Bible is real and it and what it describes really happened and it is and it did it did really happen just the way the Bible says then we should expect 
other human beings outside of ancient Israel to have interacted in some way with some of these fallen angelic creatures that the Bible says rebelled against God and fell. It's not like the world was only spiritual for Israel. Right. Yes. We we live in a thick spiritual world. The wall is somewhat semi-permeable. And so these these angels that are sent to to Israel and and to communicate to us and to herald God's good tidings also correspond to fallen rebel angels who want to maim, hurt, lie, deceive, destroy. And we should expect that they did it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the part that's been that's been perhaps the, the part that's been most fascinating to me is to see the overlap between the the stories of the scripture and how some of the other ancient Near East stories, they tell a similar tale. Um, now, what, the way Heiser explains it is says the, the, the scriptures were written to correct the record. Mm. Um, and so the Bible, it's like Heiser is committed to scripture. And so he's, he's like saying like that we believe that God, that we believe in Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Holy Spirit, God inspired the scriptures for the purpose of revealing himself to us the way we, the way uh, Christians uh, or want to believe. Yeah. However, he would say that part of the uh, part of the purpose of that writing was because of um, no. Well, let me say it this way: like we, you hear of like an oral tradition mm-hmm. that antedates the written scriptures, and those oral traditions are they they tell the stories that uh, of old that were written down sometime later. But there was a very intentional discipline of maintaining that oral tradition. But the Hebrew people, the people of God, weren't the only ones that had oral traditions. And so there were various oral traditions that were being handed down that tell of actual events that happened. But over time, these, you know, the stories might have taken a certain twist to represent the interest of that particular uh, people. And so God inspired Moses uh, to write the Torah, um, mm-hmm. the other scriptures to say, this is what happened. And this is why these people are my people. And here's the story of, you know, of what he did to rescue those people. So it it is it has given me greater confidence in the Word of God as inspired by God. Not not that there was any doubt really, yeah. but that, but it it has helped me to understand more what is God doing in these pages. And what Heiser does well is whenever there's something weird in the Bible, he's able to say, let me let me uh, fill out some more of what's going on here and how this interfaces with what would have been understood universally in the ancient world and how they would have heard that story, what they're thinking. Um, He has a statement of uh, the best way to understand the Bible is to understand the context of the people who produced it. Um, The, the ancient writer, what were they thinking? What, what were the questions or the, the, the needs that they were addressing in the, in their writing inspired by the Holy spirit? Um, so that's, that's what we, these things have real application for us, um, because they answer questions about the, the spiritual realm that is, uh, of great interest as we've already talked about, but, um, not just as an intellectual curiosity, but because these things are real. No, that's exact. So a a way to think of it might be Satan is just as real as Caesar Augustus. Absolutely. They both are personal beings created by God who exist, both of whom in rebellion against God, but they both exist. One is now dead. 
real thing, real people, real agents that actually were on the stage of humanity. And just as we can learn about Caesar Augustus from other sources and and get and, and find out he actually made a real impact on an actual world that actually exists and I can touch and I can walk around on. The Bible gives me an inerrant, inspired, infallible account of at least one event in Caesar Augustus's life. The Bible gives me an inerrant, infallible, inspired account of Satan, what, what animates him, what motivates him, what his rebellion is like. But I should also expect that just as Caesar left his mark on the world in other ways that I can, I can see in history, mm-hmm. I should expect that Satan and the demonic have left their mark on, in, in other ways on the actual yeah. world that's actually here. He's not just in the pages of scripture. He's a real being described in the, in the pages of yeah. scripture. So yeah. that, that's good. I think Heiser, yeah, it, the, the way you're saying it and the way he, I've heard him through you has been, has been helpful and true. Yeah. Um, well, there are, we, we've broken this down and there's a, a few concepts that I think we can extract from this material and uh, we're gonna. I think we can get through two now. Okay. Um, and then there's. I can maybe highlight all four of the concepts that I, I want to be able to get to. Um, two now, and then what the other two will be. Um, Those other two, maybe they can be like a hidden track at the end of a CD back in the ooh, day. Ooh, I like that yeah. idea. I always loved the hidden track. Or maybe we could do like a backmasking where it can. Uh, it can... Now I know what backmasking <laughs> is. That's for well, if you episode, listen to the yeah. last episode, you know yeah. what our joke is about. Um. Okay, so um, well, let me tell you the four concepts, and then we'll go through them one at a time. First concept, the earthly realm is a mirror reflection of the heavenly realm. When I say mirror, I don't mean exact. I mean, I mean that there is interplay. I like the way you said it earlier. Um, the wall the, is semi-permeable. Yeah, the wall is semi-permeable. So there is a spiritual realm, and there is an earthly realm, and these are not disconnected, but they they coexist, but in two different dimensions mm-hmm. that, that sounds kind of star trekky x-files x-file but um i think you know if you've seen stranger things mm-hmm. it's like you have the upside down which is like this alter reality that is real but mm-hmm. it exists you know in a corresponding way i mean we see it at least once explicitly in job right so satan yes. goes to god in the heavenly realm and then apparently or at least in in a realm that i doubt job and his friends could have seen and then interacts with job in in the world that you and i see in yeah touch. Yeah, so that's the first concept. Second one is the divine council is comprised of spiritual beings who work on God's behalf in the world, which is simply there is this existing, uh, the heavenly host, mm-hmm. the these creatures that God created, that he created to, to interface. Well, I don't know if that was, this was part of whatever he delegated to them, but they, they acted on God's behalf in the world. Um, so they were not merely just a collection. God didn't just create like a room full of spiritual beings and say, all right, guys, yeah. you're here now. <laughs> Find out what you like doing and report right. so, back. Yeah. So that, that, I'm glad you said that because that this divine council is, it, 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 it's not as though they don't have stuff to do. Yeah. We've got stuff to do. You've got a family to get home to tonight. Um, we've got jobs. We've got, you know, bills to pay. We've got friends. We've got... You know, these things are real to us, and it's not as though the spirit realm is less real. It's just different in ways that that we don't exactly know. Um, but 
I think the scripture describes it for us enough to where we can we can know for certainty some things about it. But it is real. And so it is a uh, and and God has assigned things to spirit beings uh, uh, to interact with human beings. I mean, even in our New Testament word, the word that is inspired by God, angelos, is is baked into it. The word yes. messenger, you, yeah. you are, which is what happens with Gabriel. Gabriel is sent, right? He is he's commissioned. He has a, an order by God, and you kind of see that same sort of dynamic in Revelation. Yeah, these spiritual beings have commands. They have directives. They have orders that are given to them by Yahweh. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, Heiser talks about this um, in a few places where the word angel, we think of that as an ontological category of a divine being, but he says that um, an angel is a job description. So if you see an angel, that's not telling you a category of being. It's like, oh, uh, all of these divine beings are angels. He's saying of whatever this this heavenly host being is, there are some of them that are designated as angels, then they are emissaries to human beings. They mm-hmm. have the the capability of appearing to people. They can be seen um, through that semi-permeable mm-hmm. uh, wall. Um, and so angel describes what they do, but we see in scripture language that indicates multiple orders of being that, and they're not all the same. So cherubim, seraphim, two obvious examples. Mm-hmm. You have archangels. So there's some kind of ultra messenger type. Yeah. Um, I, th- I don't. I don't know if Heiser touches on this. Maybe you can tell me. But that would that would shed light on why God Himself is sometimes in the Old Testament called the Angel of Yahweh. Yes. God Himself is called the Angel of Yahweh. Well, if angel is a is a task, a commission, a job, a duty. Then it would it would make sense that and and we always try to tread carefully when we're on divine ground here. But if the second person of the Trinity was sent to speak with Moses in the burning bush, then it would make sense why the Son uh, could be called both Yahweh and the Angel of Yahweh. Yeah, because he was, for lack of a better term, he was angeling yes. at that moment. Yes, yeah, he was appearing. Right, and so he was appearing with a particular function to inter- interact with the human. Yeah. Um, third concept, and we'll go back and unpack these more, but the third concept is that um, some of these creatures, um, divine beings, we'll talk more about what they're what they're like, but um, they rebelled and they fell. Mm-hmm. And th- those falls were, they correspond with human events in the book of Genesis 1 through 11. Um, some have called it the three falls of man. So we have the one we're familiar with, the fall of the garden. Um, there's the the story in Genesis six of the increasing corruption on the earth that preceded the flood, which is the the uh, yeah the watchers that took human women. So there was this uh, seems as like a sexual union between yeah. uh, angels and women. Um, and then the third one, which is the Tower of Babel. Um, all three of those have um, are significant events that was an angelic and human fall. It's like there was a, they corresponded to one another. So that's where this, what happens in the earthly realm and the spiritual realm, they work in tandem. Mm. Um, and then the fourth concept that I, that I want to unpack, and this will be two episodes from this one, is the idea of a, um, the gospel story is a triumph of Jesus Christ over both human or earthly and yeah. spiritual realms. So Christ is victorious in both areas, 
we we're familiar with and we tell the story um and the story of scripture obviously is is going to focus and lean into more the the human side of it but you can see the angelic side of it or the or the spiritual realm side of it it pokes through absolutely in, in very important places and you see that what god is commanding his people to do on earth even in the old testament the book of joshua um it is not merely the conquest of a plot of land it is a it is a spiritual war where they are killing off giant clans that were spawned from the sin in Genesis mm-hmm. chapter six. As weird as that sounds, yeah, um, that's what the Bible teaches. I believe it. Yeah, and there's as, a reason why that one bed is described as huge. I think in yes, in, yeah, Joshua or Judges, it, the guy wasn't just abnormally tall. Yeah, what well, that, that's the thing. It's like if it's just the Bible that says that tells these stories. One might say, as they do, they might say, well, see, the Bible's just got all these weird stories about giants and supernatural things. So obviously it's fantastical. We can't believe it. But there are multiple ancient sources that will describe similar events happening that are, it's almost like independent verification yeah. that something happened. So like a, the flood story. Yeah. Um, a countless flood myths across the, the globe. Uh, most of them involving boats and involving a particular saved clan or tribe or family yeah. that got into the boat. We have the absolutely inerrant, inspired, infallible, 100% right version of that story in the Bible. But because that really happened, because the earth really was buried in water, mm-hmm. other people know about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, if, let's say you have a historical record of um, the crucifixion of Christ. Yeah. That's not Bible, but that tells you that some other source will will reference this man that existed and that you know performed yeah. acts and that sort of thing. Um, so it's a, I, I, it is it has given me um, a greater sense of confidence that what got what what is recorded here is a is, is a really the accurate account, the true accounting of what yeah. what happened. Um, so let's let's uh, go through these concepts. Uh, we'll just hit the first two in this episode. Um, but the first concept is the earthly realm is a reflection of, or a mirror of the heavenly realm. So there's two realms. There's the spiritual realm, which is immaterial, uh, you know, cosmic in scope. Um, and then there is the, there's the material realm. It's an earthly realm, physical in nature. And this, um, from our, from our perspective, we human beings were bound to this earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a very real connection between the two. And this is something that other ancient Near East um, uh, sources, well, they'll describe uh, their religious beliefs in a similar way, in that the, the, the events on earth happen uh, because of or in tandem with some celestial events or spiritual events. So uh, uh, one example of this could be... Um, We've talked about in other episodes about human sexuality, particularly fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, God being a father is not merely this metaphorical image that helps us understand God better. Oh, he's like my dad, or he's like a divine version of dad. You know, it's it's saying like God's fatherhood is real, right? And human fatherhood uh, is a God wrote His fatherhood into the right. created order because these things are connected. Yep. The, the earthly family, Paul says in Ephesians, from which every 
uh, or God is a father from which every family receives its name. We are we are called what we are. We live the way we are, <clears throat> the way we do as human households, because God is a father. And most of the ancient world, I think, had a had a much better understanding of the reality of that than we do post enlightenment in the West, where we kind of do the Sigmund Freud thing and we say, well, we we think of God as a father because we really like dads and we yeah. really want a dad and we've got this dad hunger, so we'll just pretend there's a, a dad up there in the sky. No, that's a that's a pretty modern twist yeah. on on what is actually the reality. Yeah. A father made everything. Yeah. And that's why we're fathers as men. Yeah. We've used the language of theomorphic yeah. uh, in a previous episode where um, meaning that we are shaped after uh, a divine image. That's right. He is uh, not shaped after us. Right. So God is not anthropomorphic right. with anthro being a reference to human, but rather human beings are theomorphic. We are shaped after a divine a divine image. Yeah. Uh, but the idea here is just that world events, news headlines, these things do not happen with irrespective of spiritual events. Yeah. Now we can't read a spiritual newspaper of events in the heavenlies or things that happen on a spiritual realm, but we know from the testimony of scripture that these are connected and that world events in our world and our newspapers transpire in connection to spiritual events that are are happening so it's we don't we don't know the details we don't know exactly but there are a few places and we can you know we can look at these there are a few places where that that's why we call it uh well a revelation the book of yeah. revelation uh it it is a revealing and so the book of revelation is where the curtain is thrown open right. the widest so all the weird stuff in the book of revelation is is God telling uh, the apostle John, hey, the stuff that you're experiencing on earth, right. let me tell you all the corresponding right. spiritual events that are happening in tandem and are interfacing with human events. That's right, John, when you were walking around Palestine with Jesus and you <clears throat> heard him say, I saw Satan fall. Like lightning. Right, right. Yeah. When, you, when you were walking around near the Sea of Galilee or whatever and you heard Jesus say that, I am now going to show you what that actually looked like. And you see this ancient dragon, this serpent that is called Satan, Apollyon of and you see him war with God and thrown down along with a third of his angels, a third of God's angels. This is, there's a, there's a reason why revelation has been so encouraging to the persecuted church and to people who are, I think a little less enlightened quote unquote than us. That book is encouraging to people who are closer to the front lines because in it, you see what's really happening. Yeah. The suffering you're going through, persecuted church, really is demonic. You really are being attacked by hell. But let me show you how hell ends. Hell yeah. gets squashed and tossed into the lake of fire. Yeah. Yeah, so a proper, uh, a proper definition of a prophet would be one f for whom God has granted access mm. to see the spiritual realm. Mm. Isaiah chapter six, right? Isaiah sees it in Isaiah chapter six. Um, yep. Ezekiel uh, by the uh, canal gets the the creatures with the wheels, the wheels and yep. wheels. Yeah, it's it's a. I think it's like a, it's like a chariot. Yeah, and, it moves. and nobody else around that canal seeing that. Yeah, it's Ezekiel who's God's peeling back the the curtain for yeah. Ezekiel. Yeah, so a so a biblical prophet is one who uh, who has seen or experienced or encountered in some way this spiritual realm. The apostle Paul 
speaks of um I was caught up into the third heaven. Yeah. Um so and he he was so his mind was blown in such a way that he could not even speak of it in the first person. Right. Scholars agree that's like this is this happened to Paul, but he says there's this man that this happened to and yeah. whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. I just know that it was real. And, and Paul experienced this thing and that's that is God saying this there is something going on that you through human eyes cannot see and it is no less real. Um there's a couple of scriptures. One uh more we're pretty familiar with, Ephesians 6:12. That St. Paul mm-hmm. says, "We do not wrestle against flesh and blood." So that's human, that's terrestrial, mm-hmm. physical. We don't wrestle against that, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Right. If he was just talking about a philosophy, he wouldn't have used those different words. Rulers, authorities, like those are words that correspond to some a, a personal being that's actually doing something. Yeah. Those are rank. Yeah. Now, for me, I'm, I'm just, my curiosity just, just is like, I want to know what, what do they do? Right. What are these beings? But I think it is, it is beyond obvious that Paul is referring to specific entities that he has knowledge of by inspiration of the spirit, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. So there, there are ranks, there are uh, duties, there's particular assignments, cosmic powers over a present darkness, whatever the darkness is, mm-hmm. forces of evil in heavenly places. So and they wrestled are, against Paul. Yeah. So Paul's like, hey, you like my ministry, I'm getting stoned, right. I'm getting mocked, I'm getting, um, you know, all the difficulties that I encounter in the churches, all this thing. Like mm-hmm. he talks about it in Second Corinthians about getting shipwrecked. He's like, hey, listen, guys, this is not just right. Uh, a navigational error on this ship. I am wrestling as the ship sank, <clears throat> as I got stoned outside the city, as I got persecuted. That was me wrestling against these real personal beings that you can't see. Yeah. They were they were at the heart of those conflicts. Yeah. Now the, the thing that that I don't I don't have a, a view on this. I'm I can tell you what I'm inclined to believe, but it's not as though I don't think Paul had some augmented reality goggles where he, you know, it's like he he is able just to in an instant see things in a spiritual realm at will. Yeah. I think that Paul saw things when God revealed them to him. And so Paul knew through the eyes of faith that these things were happening, but I am not inclined to think that Paul was able to know in any particular instance at will, this is what's happening. Although there are instances where he knew with enough confidence to call it out. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that. The slave girl. Yeah. So the slave girl's walking behind him and calls out something along the lines of, um, you know, these men are proclaiming to you the, the true gospel of God or something like that. And Paul, there's something in her tone of voice, or there's something there that he is able to pick up on. This is not just a normal human girl shouting something out. Um, In that sense, Paul had his spiritual scent trained enough Hmm. that he could smell something he couldn't see. Yeah. So it is possible for you to be so aware of, so, so mature in Christ that you're aware of spiritual realities that you can't see or touch. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think of discernment. I actually used this illustration in a sermon a few weeks ago about discernment. I think discernment is kind of like whenever somebody is struck blind, um, the stories that they'll tell you about that condition is that the other senses that remain are heightened in the uh, maybe by the brain or something to compensate for that. And so that a blind person is able to see through their ears, their mm. smell, yep. their touch, uh, just through a general sense of their where they are. Even though they can't see with their eyes, they learn through heightened sensitivity, which is like a constant training of their senses yeah. to discern things and to know where things are that they can't physically see. I think spiritual discernment is probably analogous to that, to where a person is so prayerful, so saturated in scripture, so attentive and alert to their surroundings from a spiritual point of view yep. um, that they're able to detect. And you mentioned this in the previous episode. Um, when when they catch a whiff of something, like that smells like hell. Right. That That's off. That's wrong. And they're able to... It's not merely a mistake. It's not merely an aberration. It's not merely a goof up on the other person's. I am smelling something demonic in this person, in this action, in this room, in this environment. There is something demonic going on mm -hmm. here. That's, that is the kind of ministry you're seeing in the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. Yeah. You, you will not mm -hmm. understand the book of Acts with all its weird stories of the sons of Sceva who are going around exercising until the guy who, ha who actually has unclean spirits chases them out of the house wounded and naked <laughs> you're not going to understand that book of acts until you until you realize there are christians who walk around planet earth aware of this spiritual realm yeah i think there's some that and i think it's a it's not like a switch where you either have it or you don't i think it's a maybe a dimmer switch where some people have it more than others and it can be trained you I mean you see a hebrews 5 Discernment can be trained, but it takes constant practice. It takes theological and biblical skill, mm -hmm. being immersed in scripture. And but through that training, you can discern right and wrong to a greater degree. Um, there was a I was in a, a, on a summer mission to Eastern Europe. We were in Slovakia. And there was um Whenever we we would do English camps with students that would tra travel around to learn English from us as we were students as well. But um, whenever in between these different camps, we would travel to some nearby cities. Uh, we went to uh, Prague, Czech mm -hmm. Republic, beautiful city. Uh, it was my favorite place to, to go. Went to Budapest, uh, spent a day there. Um, my least favorite city was Vienna, Austria. Mm. And to this day, I remember... Looking back, it was like every one of us had the same experience. We got off that train and we're just like, something just feels weird about this place. Mm. Now, it could be anything. It, I'm not, I, we, we were young, we were college aged, and it could have been something we ate. But perhaps with more discernment, more training, we might have, be able, might have been able to identify. But I knew I was on high alert. And one of the things that stood out to me, I just felt like, man, this place is just feels demonic to me. And one of the things that stood out to me was the, the, and this would have been 1997. It was the prevalence of pornography. Mm. Um, so you'd walk by like a newsstand, like, you know, like this little booth and they've got, they're, they're constructed of glass. 
and they would just have pornographic images taped, uh, you know, where you could see the images from the glass. So you just anybody walking by could see it. Yeah. Little kids walking by anybody. And that would kind of entice you to go and buy magazines, which was one of the ways yeah. he distributed porn in those days. Um, but it, the place felt demonic to me. Um, perhaps that is somewhat uh, analogous to what discernment is like in the spirit. Um, but regardless, we do see scripture give indications that these things happen and that God does gift people in certain ways. And I do think certain people have a greater gifting. Um, you yeah. and I know somebody, a, yeah. a man is a an elder at our church. Uh, he is, I believe the Lord has given him an, a, more of a gift mm -hmm. than me mm -hmm. uh, into these matters. Yeah. And so it's God's grace. He has to reveal behind what's, what's behind the wall, what's behind the semi-permeable yeah. wall or curtain. But the fact that it is all happening back there and that there's points of contact between the spiritual realm and ours, that we are all spiritual beings. We are composite or amphibious, if you like, beings in that regard. We have, we are partially. <laughs> it's like water and land. Is exactly. Yeah. We can, we can kind of live in, live in both worlds. Um, spiritual amphibians. That's right. We are. Yeah. That's a new punk band. Yeah. That's absolutely. <laughs> um, the, the fact that God is gracious enough to reveal that to us in scripture and uh, in our own lives uh, means that it, it does matter. He wouldn't tell us about something in scripture and he wouldn't show us something, show uh, the elder that we're talking about or, or even ourselves, I think, have both interacted with the spiritual realm, whether through uh, just a sense or, or dreams even. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't show us things like that in scripture and in experience if it were irrelevant. Yeah. He doesn't just give us facts about the universe he created that are unconnected to our lives. There's a reason we're supposed to know yeah. that there are demons. Well, I, they, they have like people that have dreams. Yeah. Like I, the dream that I, I opened with, I don't know of any meaning of that dream, but um, God do know that God does speak through dreams. And the man that we're referring to, that's an elder here, um, he will have dreams. Um, and he'll write them down because he, and some of them he has been able to later go back and identify mm. um, things that he thinks the Lord was communicating to him. Never is it on the same level of authority as scripture, right? but it does nudge him in a direction where the spirit through that dream might, might be indicating to him, pay attention to that. Right. Look a little more closely at that. And then through his, normal investigation and prayer and asking questions, he's able to, to find out something that might want to remain hidden. Yeah. And if there are any listeners here who are Christians, but cessationists who don't believe in the continuation of the miraculous gifts, anything like that, that don't, don't and feel free to disregard for a second our talk about dreams just for a moment and just hear us say this. If the world really is spiritual and physical, if it really is the way the Bible describes it, then we should not be surprised that there are some points of contact between the demonic and the human, between the angelic and the human, between mm -hmm. heaven or hell and the human. There, there would have to be. The Bible describes those points of contact in its own pages. Yes. It's going to happen. I don't think you have to be a tongue-talking Pentecostal right. to believe that the the spirit world is real and that interfaces with human beings. Yeah. That's, that's Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. All right, um, let me hit the second concept here. The divine council is comprised of spiritual beings who work on God's behalf in the world. Um, 
Let me read to you. This is a, a definition from the Lexham Bible Dictionary of the Divine Council. So the Divine Council, this is a quote. The Divine Council is a term used by Hebrew Bible scholars for the heavenly host, the assembly of divine beings who administer the affairs of the cosmos under Yahweh. All ancient Mediterranean cultures had some conception of a divine council, including Israel. However, Israelite religion's divine council was distinct. The structure of the Israelite divine council has implications for understanding God and the unseen world in biblical theology. So another way you could say it is the divine council is God's ruling family in the mm -hmm. spiritual realm. So in the earthly realm, human beings, the created in the image of God, God created Adam and Eve um, to have dominion over the world, to be fruitful and multiply. That is that these are the unique human properties that he has created us with and what he has called us to do. That's why Satan hates us more than he hates bottlenose dolphins. That's or right. Aardvarks or redwood trees. Aardvark, you go to that a lot. Yeah, you, I know, you I like, like aardvark. aardvark. Whenever you think, whenever you need a random animal to refer to, you it's get, the two A's at the beginning. Yeah, it's the one. It's like yeah. it's the first one in the alphabet. Yeah. You think alphabetically, I guess. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, well, the other. So well, let me let me uh, let me read this other part. Um, so it's God's ruling family in the spiritual realm, and the members of the divine council are called the sons of God. This one was a really eye, a real eye opener for me, because. Sons of God, I just, I had always taken that in more of a generic sense, which is somebody who's a Christian is a son of God, mm. which they are, but I, that was as far as I allowed the meaning to That becomes to tricky in Genesis 6. That does become <laughs> tricky in Genesis 6, yeah. <laughs> and the Christians took daughters of women. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll get to that in the next episode because, yeah. because you have to, you have to know what the word sons or the phrase sons of God means. It means that this is God's divine counsel. These are creatures that were that are spiritual beings created to be part of God's ruling family, and the sons of God part is the um, is the part that it indicates a familial mm -hmm. relationship. So they comprise the 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 divine counsel. So I've got I've got two examples, but there are many others. Uh, one quick example is interesting because it's in the book of Job where Job is describing the creation. You know, there's that part where God mm -hmm. is just peppering him with questions. Where were you when when I drew out the measuring line of the earth? And yeah. where are you when the aardvark is born to its nice. mother? And nice. like that. I do. Um, but of this in these questions, it, he's asking Job, um, what do you know about the creation of the world when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Mm. So he's... He's asking Job, hey, Job, you weren't there. This thing happened when I'm creating the world and I'm speaking these things into existence. Before people. Before humans. There are these sons of God that are watching this and they're shouting for joy. Um, this isn't something that I would press too hard on, but it's interesting. Michael Heiser, he argues in his book that whenever Genesis, in Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our image. I think traditionally people will either say that's the royal we, mm -hmm. uh, God is speaking of himself in a plural for the sake of, you know, showing magnificence, or the members of the Trinity, mm -hmm. uh, there's this communication. Um, 
Heiser makes an argument against those interpretations, and he says God is creating, um, he's communing and discussing the act of creation with the divine council and saying, this is what we're going to do. And he's talking to them as he's creating man. Um, Just a little side note for those who are readers of fiction and perhaps fantasy fiction, that is sort of what J.R. Tolkien imagines in the Cimmerillion. That he imagines God, who he calls, I think, Eru, but it's it's very clearly a Genesis in influence. Yeah. J.R. Tolkien was a Roman Catholic. God in talking with his angels and yeah. saying, we're going to do this. Well, my understanding is that Tolkien and Lewis, C.S. Lewis, who are good friends, mm. they both hold this sort of worldview oh, yeah. in their faith. Absolutely. Uh, C.S. Lewis's space trilogy is filled with uh, gods that the ancient Greeks thought were Zeus or the ancient Romans thought were Jupiter but really are angels or, or created yeah. spiritual beings. And and they are main characters in that space trilogy Lewis wrote. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. both both those men absolutely would have found a lot of agreement with Heiser in basically saying, hey, the world's thicker than you think it is post-enlightenment. Yeah. That's what I love about this stuff. Yeah. is I, And I like the way you say it, Wade. It's like, the world is thick. Yeah. And it's like, I'm I'm a junkie for meaning. I'm the right. kind of guy that's like, when, I, when something just stirs me, I mean, that's just... I love that. I get excited about that. And when I when I think about the world in this way, I get excited about God. You made the world this way. It's so it, it just thrills my heart. Yeah, to think about there's a lot more. It's kind of like in stories where you meet a villain, and then you find out oh, in the in the sequel, mm-hmm. there's another badder villain. Yeah, it's like oh, the story's even bigger than I thought. Yeah, and then there's another one. It's like whoa, there's even another one. And the Lord of the Rings does that whenever uh, I first, um, I want to say when I first read the books, but I have to confess I watched the first movie first, first and then went back and then I got books. into the books. Nevertheless, that's how Tolkien did it. He watched the movie and then wrote. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but you've got Sauron. Yeah, and you're like oh, that's the. That's the baddest, evilest, meanest, wickedest. He's the. And you find out about Melkor. The, yeah, and then there's Morgoth. Is, yeah, that's they're the same guy. The Melkor okay, the and same Morgoth guy. are the same guy. Yeah. Well, you're 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 a bigger Tolkien nerd. Than I, I read the Silmarillion a couple years ago. I'm not a Tolkien. I like, have not read junkie, the Silmarillion. But. I've read the the trilogy and and the Hobbit. He so I I don't know if J.R. Tolkien is in heaven. I hope he is, but he absolutely from I, I read the Silmarillion and saw. Uh, traces of the Bible's worldview all throughout it where basically, so I had walked around in the same air you had, and it was post enlightenment. It was, it's like the air of like Arizona. It's just totally dry. I mean, it's just bone dry. There's nothing there. It's flesh, blood, and that's it. And now I, I realize, uh, through just constant scripture and then through wiser, older fathers in the faith, no, man, this world is just thick with, it's like a rainforest. It's just yeah. filled with the moisture of the spiritual. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to understand it perfectly, but like Tolkien and like Lewis and like Heiser and like um, Doug Wilson ha- has a lot of this to offer, yeah. I think. Uh, I'm seeing now, man, even as I speak, I'm sitting here in a chair speaking to you and there are tremors of the spiritual all around us. Yeah. I don't know whether there's a demon or an angel listening to us. I don't know that. Well, they need to like and subscribe. That's right. And, please uh, do. Please leave a but, review, Angel, on the iTunes. But I do know that the demonic, at the very least, hates Christ the King Church while we're recording this. Yeah. And hates the gospel going forth in Cincinnati, Ohio, where we're sitting. Um, and and that that gives a charged 
just just kind of real and electric feeling to being alive that I think is how I'm supposed to feel. Yeah. God did not put me in a boring world. Yeah. He's a glorious God who made a world that's multidimensional. Hmm. And uh and I'm supposed to be mesmerized and amazed by him. We we are living parallel to this spiritual world and there are times where you're going to be able to discern, feel, see, smell something that is happening spiritually that's corresponding to the sin or turmoil of your earthly life. That doesn't mean you're going to discern it perfectly. Uh, none of us will ever describe an inerrant dream inerrantly. That's not something right. we believe. Dreams are not scripture. That's right. But if the world really does have a spiritual component, there's going to be times where it, it touches us, yeah. where, where the, the cars clip each other. And so... And that's not foreign to scripture. No. You see, in scripture... This the, there are frequent interactions with, and it's not just when God is moving redemptive history forward in some way. Yeah, you do see just moments where things like that happen. Yeah. Um, let me give you another. So this is a here, here's another instance of the divine counsel. This is Psalm 82, which is is a pretty pivotal text. Um, because there's a. I'll see if I can read this and make a couple of quick comments. So I'm just reading straight through Psalm 82, verse one, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods. He holds judgment. So gods there would be this heavenly host, divine council, mm -hmm. angelic beings. Now God speaks, quote, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked, unquote. So God said all those words, and he is judging the divine members of the divine council, telling them you have been, you've had some responsibility over human beings and you've done wickedly to them. You have not fulfilled your purpose. Verse five, they neither have knowledge nor understanding they walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Verse six, I said, quote, you are gods, sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince, mm. unquote. Um, so God, this is God speaking to them. I said, you're gods. You are divine counsel. You are these spiritual beings, sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, you're going to die like men you are going to suffer the fate that what would have been reserved for humans alone because they're mortal. You will fall like any prince. Verse eight, last one. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Meaning, God ultimately is sovereign and Lord and King over every nation on earth, regardless of what particular demon or entity or spiritual being happens to be exerting influence in that nation at that mm -hmm. time. Um, so I want to read you a quote. This is what Michael Heiser said in his book, Supernatural. He said this. This is another quote. We learned in Psalm 82 that these lesser gods became corrupt. They allowed injustice. People came to worship them instead of the most high God. Thus, they became enemies of God and his people, Israel. Since some of those nations were within the land of Canaan, which God purposed to give to his nation, Israel, after the exodus, Moses and the Israelites believed the people who occupied those lands were their mortal enemies and their gods would do all they could to destroy Israel. 
um, which is true. It's how it's how Israel is often treated. There, there is a, clearly a a there is more going on there than anti-Semitism. Yeah. You know what I mean? In the way ancient Israel is viewed as they come into the land of Canaan. Yeah, the people of Moab weren't just racist right. against yeah. Jewish people. There's something else animating that conflict. Yeah, so no, in the ancient world, it was universally acknowledged by all the different peoples. It's like, it's us and our gods mm-hmm. against you and your gods. Yeah. And in the case of Israel, you and your God, because you have one Yahweh God, who was known as the most high God. Um. So there's a... Whenever like the the any battles or whatever was simultaneously a battle between people and a conflict of deities, which incidentally, whenever God judges Egypt, it's not just, hey, all right, you're not going to let my people go. Let me throw some frogs at you. Yeah. Let me throw some gnats at you. Those aren't random. Yes. Those particular plagues. Those were judgments against particular gods associated with those, uh, either that phenomena or... Those creatures. You see it even more explicitly in, uh, I think it's uh, First Samuel. Um, you get the Philistines capturing, they defeat Israel and they capture the Dagon. Ark of the Covenant. And they take it back to the Temple of Dagon. Well, what happens inside the Temple of Dagon? The statue falls down and God has, I believe, the hands fall off. Um, so, I mean, like, <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't like, a, I'll just pick a piece of furniture here. Yeah. You know, it's not, Yahweh's not like, oh, I'll knock over your, your nightstand. He's knocking over the temple. Yeah, he's judging that uh, God. Idol, because yes, he's judging that God. Yeah. And so, I mean, you see this language all throughout the Bible. Who is like you among the gods? So the I had read that previously with some question, at least in my mind, that or is he saying, who are you among the fictional beings? Who are you among the, the idols of wood? Mm-hmm. It's like, well... Of course, God is superior to fictional beings. That doesn't impress anybody. Yeah. But if there are real divine, uh, quote unquote, divine uh, angelic type beings, then that make war against God and they truly are powerful, then for God to be superior to them all, he is the creator of them all. They are in rebellion against him and God is asserting his superiority over them. Mm -hmm. That's impressive. Yeah. Which is what you see in the New Testament. They tremble at Jesus and they are cast into swine by Jesus. Um, they are commanded not to speak by Jesus. Yeah. Jesus, who is Yahweh, is uh, makes makes these fallen, semi-divine beings, if you want to call them that. He makes them scared. Yeah. Yeah. And that is impressive. Certainly impressive if I'm standing next to Jesus and I don't fully understand yet that he's God in the flesh. And I'm like, here's this 30-year-old carpenter making these unclean spirits. Yeah. Tremble. Nazareth. Who is this man? Yeah. There's, um, there's one other, um, one other, uh, example I want to read here. Um, so for those, for just listeners, we are waiting, are trying to, we got some feedback that our episodes were long. Mm. <laughs> you might've seen some that are two hour plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we get going, it's hard to stop. So we've been trying to make an effort to like, okay, let's, let's be more on point. Um, so what I'll do is I want to read this story and then I'll, um, I'll just, we'll, we'll skip to the end after this. But this, this one story is, is noteworthy because of it. It tells us a little bit. It's like the, the one example I could, I can think of in scripture where you actually see, this deliberative process happening within the divine council where God asks a question. Um, 
Well, let me just, let me read it. I'm in 1 Kings 22. Mm-hmm. Um, the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the, the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each one return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. So here's the divine counsel mm-hmm. scene. So Micaiah is now giving him the true word uh, that, that, that uh, he has for him. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. So he's in the divine throne yeah. room. He's got the divine counsel there. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Now, um, obviously, the the difficulty of the Lord allowing this lying spirit mm-hmm. that uh, unless unless you have a quick comment to make on that, I'll, I'll leave that aside. No, 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 no that's fine. I'll, I'll leave that aside for now uh, because it's it's a tangent to the point I'm wanting to make, which is what we see here is. God deliberating with and con, um, taking counsel with divine counsel. And there are these spirits that he wants to act as emissaries. And he's like, all right, here's what needs to happen. Who's going to, who's got an idea? And of course, God is sovereign. He has all ideas, but God chooses to work through other entities, just like he does with us. Yeah. Um, and one spirit came forward, I'm going to go out and I'll get all these guys lying. And God said that, that, that will succeed. Go and do it. Um, that, that is the clearest example that comes to mind of, of being able to see in action, Mm -hmm. the fact that God acts in the world through these beings. And that is, um, we'll have to land the plane here for the sake of time. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll make my, I'll I'll give a concluding thought, wait, and then hand it over to you. See if you have any concluding thought. Uh, here's my concluding thought. Um, this, the the world is enchanted. It's spiritual. Um, we we have to reject this naturalistic Darwinian mindset that treats the world as though it is merely um, just atoms and matter mm-hmm. and energy. But there is there is a real God. There is a real demon, and there are layers upon layers, scores upon scores, myriads upon myriads of supernatural beings that inhabit this world alongside us and what we do interfaces with them and we 
we we have an impact on one another. Mm-hmm. Our worlds, our our realms interface. And so we um as Christians, we need to we need to take account for that because a lot of what we encounter is evil and we're not up against merely some sin that happens over here somewhere. But we are up against demonic beings that aim for our destruction and we should pray and act and discern accordingly. Um, knowing that Christ is Lord over all, Christ wins. Um, he upholds the universe by his power. He holds us in his hands. So fear God and keep his commandments. Amen. That's my final word. What do you got, Wade? If you moved to a new neighborhood and there was a a rough and tumble violent gang that was slinging crack or um, in prostitution, shooting people up, stealing cars, you would want somebody to tell you. Right. You would want somebody to explain to you, you need to be aware of this. These guys make trouble. They kill people. They do illegal things. Uh, and you need to have it on your radar. We live in a world that is afflicted by these actual created rebel spirits that one day will be howling from the lake of fire while we are worshiping God forever and ever. And right now they hate you, Christian. They hate me. They hate my kids. They hate my wife. They hate Michael's wife, Michael's kids. They hate every church, every missionary. They hate every hymn that the Gettys write, and they hate every prayer that we pray. They despise us. They gnash their teeth, and they want us all in hell with them. And they are angry that that will not be what happens to those of us who are in Christ. You are foolish to not take account of them, and we don't want you to be foolish. So understand that these beings are around, that they are real, and that though we can't name them or identify them or perhaps even quantify them, um, we should know that they are working against us, and we should be able to smell them and to see them spiritually if we can't see them with our own eyes, our own physical eyes. As you pray tonight, as you read your Bible tonight or this morning or this afternoon, uh, ask God to make you keenly aware of where you are susceptible to demonic attack and take your sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and faith in the God who is triumphant over these beings and get ready for a battle against them for as long as you're living because they are not going away.